Well, hi, and welcome to another edition of the Behind the Mask podcast, the show that introduces you to the person behind the athlete, all in association with Empower Sports Management. I'm your host, Andy Moon, and alongside me as ever is Mark Kelly from ASM, and our guest today is the former Millwall and Portsmouth defender, Paul Robinson. Robbo, how are you doing? I'm really good, guys. Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for, for being on. Paul, let's, let's, let's go back to the start. Growing up, were you someone who... Footballer was was in your forefront of your mind. That was all you wanted to be growing up. Yeah, that's right. It was you know ever ever since I think I could I could move. Dad put a football in front of me. Um, you know I, I had an older brother who uh, obviously uh, as a younger brother you always want to tag along with and go you know sort of near us. There was a local field, so we'd go and play football down the fields till till the sun sort of went down. In those days, it was a little bit a little bit more easy to do that. And also just fortunately growing up, really. I, you know, my dad had a real passion for football, um, played himself. So, you know, I think with, with two, obviously we had two older sisters, but then he used to, like on a, on a Saturday, he used to take uh, me and my brother to, used to be quite, again, it'd be Barnet one week and Arsenal the next week, really, just that'd be Saturday afternoon, sort of play yourselves in the morning and then and go and watch the, whoever was at home in the afternoon. When did your association with Millwall start? Because I think it might be saying, actually, we were at Watford to start with. That's right. Yeah, I was a youngster at Watford. Um, I joined Watford about ten to fifteen, um, and uh, yeah, I was yeah. Sorry, I was there from ten to fifteen years old, um, and kind of yeah, just maybe a bit of bit of growing pains, few issues with my knee. Kind of, kind of didn't really, you know, didn't really sort of you know have a future there. So you know, they released me at fifteen, and it's kind of funny how things work out because the, the local Sunday team, Barnet Youth, I went kind of my dad kind of pushed me to sort of get back playing and played for. So I played for them, but the big draw there was their coach was, um, was Bobby Bowery, who at that time was a, was a Millwall player. Um, I'd obviously been at Palace before that, but he was a Millwall player and he, he, he kind of spent six months working with me, sort of polishing me up a little bit. And then he took me down to Millwall for a trial. So um, amazing how those things worked out. And that was at 16, signed at 16. And then, like I say, you know, I was there for 16 years, really. So it was a, just one of those moments that obviously was meant to be. Obviously gave me that, that kind of hunger to, to sort of prove Watford wrong as well as a, as a sort of youngster and, and kind of come back and, and be resilient and hit back. So that was, uh, that was how it kind of worked out. Was there any temptation to throw the towel in after, after Watford? I think it probably knocked me for a bit. I mean, I always enjoyed playing and, and, you know, to be fair, I had a really good school from that point of view that we played a lot of football at school and it was always a really good, you know, high standard school team. So still kind of had that love for it. Um, but I think it probably took me a little bit of a nudge to sort of get back playing at Barnet Youth just for that sun, sort of Sunday team. Just, um, But once I did, like I say, I never looked back. Um, what was it like coming through at Millwall? Because, you know, we know the reputation of the tough fans, but it's, it's the tough players as well. What's it like as a, as a teenager trying to establish yourself and come through there? Yeah, no, it's interesting. You're right, because my, my dad always said there's only two grounds he'd never go to. And one was Millwall and one was Chelsea. <laughs> and that was, that was when we used to go, obviously, go and watch Arsenal. So that, that, that's what he always said. Um, and I always remember that time when Millwall were in the top flight for that, for that couple of seasons and they actually played Arsenal. And there was all that that furor about trying to steal the clock, and uh, it was like a gen when you're younger, it was like a genuine kind of sort of fear. So it was quite a, it was quite funny, really. Um, but as a youngster, I mean, I it, it was it was interesting, really. I mean, it, the club it was a competitive club. It was you know it was it was a good club. I mean, it, it really we sort of 
it's a funny one, really, in terms of how we were sort of brought through, really, because I was probably about, at the start of that season, I'd probably been about sixth or seventh choice for, for centre-half, but gradually one moved on, another got injured, and eventually sort of came, it came to sort of New Year's Day, um, and one of the centre, like the centre-half that was playing got injured, and literally they, they threw me on, really. I, I think a little bit of fortunate circumstances, but also, you know, you've got to be ready to take that chance when it came, and... and and thankfully for me, it was sink or swim, and I managed to managed to swim and, and never look back. Yeah, what's it like when you you get that first opportunity and you're going out there and thinking, right, this is what I've been waiting for? Yeah, exactly. And, and like I say, just playing in front of a crowd, playing at the day, and everything about it is just as much as you think you're prepared. It's just just it's um, it's an unbelievable experience, and I I felt like I really thrived on it. You know, almost like, but I think it made me a better player playing in front of the crowd, which I'm sure most people do as well. I, some that maybe struggle with it, but I actually felt I needed that cr that crowd to sort of get a high level of performance out of me that I, I wouldn't otherwise have had. Um, and then, like you say, you know, at the den with the, the notorious fans. I mean, they're brilliant. You know, when you're winning and playing well, there's there's no you know there's no noisier you know better place to play really in, in terms of that. Um, but then also you know conversely, it it can be quite tough if you are finding it tough as a team and and you are struggling to get results or play well. You know. They, they will also, as much as they'll back you when you're doing well, they will also let you know in, in no uncertain terms when you're not. So it's that's that's the edge that's there. And that's that, like I say, I managed to embrace that and really enjoy playing for them. And you obviously, you say good times and bad, and you had plenty of good, but but you were there for, you, you were relegated down to the third tier. You were part of, part of that team in 2006. Yeah, that was um, that was a real interesting season. That what Again, young in my career, um, basically the, the chairman at the time, Theo Pathetis, left um, and and sort of handed sort of handed control to to someone without the kind of resources um, in Jeff Burnish that that Theo had had, um, and basically they sold sort of nine of the first team that summer, the, the, the sort of starting eleven, um, and there was a lot of youngsters sprinkled with a few older ones, and you know I think we had in the end it worked out five managers and three different chairmen in one season, so it was a real. It's a real tricky place, but what it did allow me to do is to kind of to, to get back to get playing regular games, like I say, where maybe some of the more established players had moved on. It allowed me the opportunity to play regular games and, and really try and sort of cement myself in, in, in the team and at the club. Was that the season Steve Claridge got sacked before he'd even taken charge of a game? I mean, what on earth is that like as a player? Oh, right, exactly. 27 days, I think it was, wasn't it? So it was... Uh, yeah, I know it was a bit. It was a bizarre, a bizarre season. That sums it up, really, doesn't it? You're right. So that it was a bizarre season, and probably exactly the right was on the wall at that that stage, really. But down in League One, you're very much establishing yourself, and it's not too long before the, the the captain's armband is is handed to you. What what's that like to be given? Yeah, it was just a real honour, really. I think that it kind of felt natural in, in, in another sense in terms of a, a sort of captain every team I played for. So it kind of felt kind of reasonably natural, but like you say, to, to maybe have it kind of that young, um, it, it you know, it was quite, it was quite, it was obviously a massive honour for me really. So um, yeah, I always relished wearing the armband and it was, yeah, I was, it's actually, it was Colin Lee that kind of gave it to me one one time against Leeds when we were still in that championship season, because basically I was, I think I was the longest serving player that had been at the club like it was that bizarre um so yeah it was but yeah like wearing that armband having the honor and, and the privilege of leading the lads out every week and again it's something that I really sort of embraced we know Kenny Jackett's the manager to keep everyone at arm's length was, was the captain brought in a little bit closer or were you really the same as everyone else in in that situation 
No, he was, to be fair. I mean, he, he always maintained it was almost like a little bit of a chain of command in terms of players. If you've got an issue, speak to your captain and then the captain comes to speak to me. And, and you know, he'd, he'd pick my brains about stuff occasionally from time to time. But like you say, with Kenny as well, he's, he's, he's very strong in his own mind about what he wants to do. And, you know, and as much as, you know, I was captain, it, it didn't... It, you know, didn't give me any any given right to play or, or what have you, especially to start with. You could see that, you know, he was a manager that liked competition, competition for places. So it was one that you always had to be on your game with, Kenny. As a player, you've broken through. Was there a particular age where you started to think about life post-footballer? Were you just, you know, all in, in the moment and, and living it as, as a footballer at that point and not thinking post-career? Um, I think I was always conscious of it being on the horizon. I mean... I was actually I actually stayed on at school for for another year to complete my A levels uh, before my mum and dad allowed me to to join Mill full time because um, they were like they were adamant that as long as you had them you could always go on after say because you know we all know the you know the the sort of failure rates in terms of making it as a professional. Um, are so you are always... you grateful for that when you look back on that they they made you do that? Yeah, extremely grateful, really grateful, and especially at the time, it kind of gave you an insurance policy and made me think, right, I can go for football now because I know that if it doesn't work out, I can then move into another area or do do sort of something else or go and go off to university. So I was I was grateful, really grateful, and I think looking back, it was you know obviously I wouldn't change it because it worked out really well for me. Maybe if I hadn't it hadn't worked out football wise, I might have looked back and regretted it, but but thankfully from that point of view, it did, and I think it was the right decision. Um, for me, and I think it's good also to have that that balance or that distraction. Really, is you know, um, you know, you have you have got spare time. I mean, as a footballer, uh, a lot of spare time. And to be fair, I used to think about post football probably as you sort of get to your probably mid twenties. I'd say. I mean, early on in my, I actually thought about doing a part time degree, and I did sort of flirt with doing a couple of part time degrees, but didn't end up sort of going down that road. Um, what might you have studied if you if you'd done it? Do you think? Well, the one I was looking at was like there was a London School of Economics one I was looking at because there was a business a banking and finance one. I was thinking about that. Um, I did a couple of modules. So I did do a couple of modules. But then, you know, when it came to deciding whether to take on the full, you know, sort of fullness of the degree, I kind of shied away from it, really. Um, but, mate, yeah, I, and I'm not sure that, you know, getting to this stage of life, I don't know whether that, that would have been something that I could transition into or not. Um so, yeah, I looked at that one and then obviously then the PFA started to offer a few more degree courses. Um, always been interested in the sports science of things. So I did think about doing that really and taking that on. But yeah, but other, other than that, I sort of just tried to make sure that I was doing some kind of qualification pretty much most years. So I kind of got a personal trainer uh, thing that we did, we did with a lot of the Portsmouth lads, funny enough, when I was down there. Um, I did like a like um, a corporate governance course as well, um, which the PFA offer, and then yeah, a few a few others along the way, just to just to kind of give me a give me a taste of everything, but also like you say, just just keep your brain ticking over as well to sort of for post career. So, at what point, Paul, did you you actually obviously coaching your route you've gone down, which everybody can understand. You spent so long in the game, you've got so much experience, and you can totally understand that that process for yourself. But what, what, when did you start your coaching badges? Was it, did you just, was it towards the end or were you picking at, picking away at that with the PFA as you went along? Yeah, same with that, Kels, to be fair. Like you say, they're, they're quite good at getting you to get your level two done um, uh, early on in your, in your playing career. And I think that, I know that they offer it for our scholars now to make sure that they're all done that by, by 18. I then took the, 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 the B licence um, 
I think I was approximately, I'd have said 28. I looked at, I did my B license. And in the A, I did the course as I was coming to, to the, the end sort of at Wimbledon. Um, I did the course then and then completed it once I got into to full-time coaching because it's kind of a bit more like that. They like to see you in situ and work with you. So that, that that's kind of, that was that kind of route. And yeah, I just, everyone says, just get your badges and make sure you've got them ready and sorted, ready to to go into that coaching career, as you say, to to help you transition. And like I said, the PFA offer it really well. They offer a variety of courses that, that are there for you it's just it's just making you sure you get them done and, and get them ready like you say for that for that next part because as we all know with the coaching it's completely different from playing as much as you've got relatable experience it's mm. it's definitely a lot different oh listen it's it's a new craft completely it is a it is a new craft completely it's not something that you, you've got the knowledge but you've got to get on the grass and actually find out how you connect with players and what your relationships are so yeah i totally totally understand where you are on that after <laughs> 22 years of me throwing cones down, you certainly you certainly realise how you need to connect and, uh, and deal with that. But actually, it, it sounds like you did plan quite a bit then. You did have a plan. You did have a plan. You did have a format because you actually got your A licence before you retired, which it's just the perfect time. And I think a lot of lads will leave that to the point where they'll go, oh, I'll get to 34 and then I'll start. I don't think they realise that even the coaching journey, if that's what they want to do, should be started at 27, 28 to give you enough time to actually get you the qualifications before you walk through the door. And I think that's where some players do fail because they think I'll leave it and I'll park it and I'll pick it up at 34. But yeah, you know, if, if you're going to come out of a game, we, we don't like the, the phrase um, retiring. We're trying to get away from that retirement phrase, but actually moving into, you know, something different. And if you're ready to go with your qualifications, then, you, you know, you've, you've got half a chance, which, uh, it's funny, we had Zesh Raymond, Zesh I helped last year, he's out in Hong Kong. And he actually, he, he got his coaching badge while he was still playing, but they gave him the manager's job as soon as he, the manager left and he got the job because he had the qualifications. So right, okay. I, think it's, yeah. I think it's one of those things that if you're out there, you, you, yeah, you've got to get it done. You've got to get it done, but well done for it. It sounds like you've had, you've had a plan, you've worked with it and you've got through it. Yeah, you're right. And, and as much as I think even when you're playing, you know that your career is going to come to an end. None of us like none of us know when that time could be. It could be, you know, an injury at any time. It could be, um, like you say, basically you just fall out of favour and then your career is kind of gone. It's like I say, and as much as people say, I think you, you, you're right. Like you really have to take that action to do it as well, don't you? Because it, it can just, just end like that. And like I say, it's more perhaps it's more transitioning, isn't it? It's transitioning into a, a new career, really, and, and a new journey, really, moving forward. And, and like I say, you just got to be ready for whatever that may be. You mentioned you never know when it's going to come to an end. And people might have thought when you stepped away from Millwall, it was coming to the end. But you still had, what, four or five years playing pretty much week in, week out after you stepped away from your, your very long association with Millwall. Yeah, that's right. I mean, to be fair to Ian Holloway, he, he, he actually offered me a kind of coaching role at Mill at that time. But I just said, no, I want to carry on playing. I still feel I can carry on playing. And, you know, I'm really pleased I did. Came and had a brilliant year down at Portsmouth. Um, I think having, like you say, been at Mill for so long, you feel so entrenched and feel so... In, like sort of every you sort of feel everything perhaps that little bit more and and, and what have you so it was kind of almost like a, a really refreshing year where all I you know I could come down really enjoy playing playing my football and like I say experience another club probably similar similar perhaps working class virtues as as a mill so it was a perfect fit for me in that in that point of view um but yeah it was a really refreshing and really enjoyable year and I really you know even though perhaps results should shouldn't well could and definitely should have been better that season it was, it was still a very enjoyable year 
and it's Wimbledon after that. But were you an age at that point where location was important? Because obviously your, your family, your, your daughters were young. You probably weren't at a point where you wanted to go and live away during the week. How much does that come into it at this point of your career? Yeah, that's right. I mean, my wife had sort of family not too far from Portsmouth. So that Portsmouth move kind of worked out. And, and like you say, it, in terms of that, you know, I, I didn't see it, say, coming to an end as, as quick as it did. But these things happen. And like I say, I think if it wasn't Wimbledon and it wasn't commutable from, from where we were, then I probably wouldn't have gone. Um, but it was. And, and again, things you know have happened probably for a reason because I went and had three brilliant years there as well. And it was, you know, another good club. And, and you know, it was, you know, I look back on that time as a really fun time too. So you do get to that stage and where location is, is massive. Um, once you're settled and, and happy, I think, it's hard then to perhaps drag yourself away from from family unless you feel it's a move that would, you know, you can't turn down. I'd say. So focusing on now, Paul, um, focusing on where you are now. What, what's what's the plan? What's the future hold at this point in time? Obviously, you're at, you're at Millwall again. You're on the coaching staff there. But how do you see it going for you? So how do you see all that unfolding? Yeah, I think my kind of next stage in, in my journey. I'm sort of working with the 21s now as as, as assistant. Um, assistant to Kevin Nugent and I've been probably doing that for for a couple of years now and I kind of feel kind of settled and, and happy but I think for myself it would be my next step really be looking to either manage a team of my own be it an 18s or 21s you know manage that team and sort of really take that responsibility or obviously you'd be looking perhaps for a first team job where you're on the coaching you know job in a in a first team environment so that it's kind of kind of feels like then you create you know a natural progression really in the coaching coaching side. What's an interesting one? Have you sat down with the wife and actually gone through that bit? Because, you know, the coaching remit can take you down. A, let's, let's be honest, it can take you down another journey, really. And uh, have you actually had that discussion at home about how that, that could look and, and, and how it will be for the family? And it's just an interesting question, really, because I think, you know, it's one of those we know, you know, Football could take you anywhere at any time, really. Is that something you've discussed or is it something that you're just kind of going to try and fill your way through, if you understand what I mean by that? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I think it's something we definitely discussed. I think perhaps we didn't know necessarily how it was going to look until, obviously, you kind of get get the role. Um, and as as we probably all know, it's in coaching, it's it's a lot longer hours for, for probably a lot less rewards in terms of unless you're at the very top like kind of levels in it. Um, so it, it is a sacrifice and it's a sacrifice for sort of for everyone, as you say, because you're away probably more from, from home than, than you were as a player. Um, and it is something we discuss. And I think it's something we kind of review and discuss regularly, really, in terms of if, if it's working for us and, and, you know, and how it could look like moving forward. Was, was it helpful having that year at Haven when you're also coaching at Pompey? As, you know, dare I almost call it a bit of a, a transition year when you're coaching and, and playing? Yeah, it was. It was brilliant from that point of view. Uh, like you say, it enabled me to, to to get in the office, be around all the conversations, see the, the stuff that working day in, day out in that environment entails. And like I said, it's, it was a real steep learning curve, but a real good learning curve as well for me on that point of view. And like you say, it was one where I could come in, but combine still sort of, you know, the playing side. And as, as I think with the playing there, even at Haven, I still felt that physically I felt really fit uh, still, but just my knee couldn't 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 do it anymore really. And And that was kind of that sort of put paid to it. Otherwise, I would have liked to think that, you know, even that non-league plan would have would have continued for a few years. Yeah, physically, was it a fairly easy decision to call it a day in 2019? Yeah, I think that, yeah, that it was, it kind of seemed the only option, really. I, and, you no, know, I'm quite a, 
quite a, sort of a, a proud person as well in terms of felt bad at not being able to provide haven't with the you know being able to play week in week out and missed a lot of games to them and I just think that I felt bad personally from that point of view that I couldn't sort of, I know that that's always the risk in in them signing a player but as a player and as a person I also felt that if I can't do the work that was required of me then it's not fair to, to continue either. Is there any point you look back to your career and wish you'd you'd known something in your early 20s mid 20s that you, you know now that you'd wish you'd, you'd had the knowledge back then? I think maybe uh, perhaps I would have worked a lot perhaps harder on myself because I think you are ambitious and you do have drive as a player. I did, but I think mine was always just working hard towards the next game and, you know, working. I think maybe if I had just perhaps a little bit more belief and a little bit more um, perhaps forward thinking in terms of where, you know, where my career was could and would take me, then I might have, you know, perhaps, perhaps I don't know, push me. Don't think I could look back and say I could have got any more out of myself, but maybe I might have just been a bit more, bit more, I don't know, forward thinking in, in my career and, and maybe where it could take me. You mentioned the modules at LSE. Did you think you could have been, become a city boy at, at one point, or still still might someday? Yeah, no, I did think that. I did think I'd go into the yeah city, something like that, because yeah, a few of my mates went down that route, so that was. Yeah, and yeah, it's always seemed quite an attractive option, really, working in London, isn't it, working in the city. So, yeah, it was definitely one that I did think about, yeah. And how, what's kind of the unseen bit of being an under-21 coach? How, how challenging can that be? Um, it can be challenging. Um, it can be challenging. I think it's, I think obviously, the hard time, like, like obviously, Kels will, will, will back me up, is... is when it comes to the end of the road for a few players, really, I think as you spent a lot of time, you've worked hard with people um, and you want to see them achieve as well. So I think sometimes when it comes to the end of the road and seeing their career kind of come to an end with us, obviously not not necessarily in football, it might, you know, but with us and, and in that moment is quite hard. Um, but other than that, it's enjoyable. You're out on the grass every day with youngsters. They, I think they keep you young as, again, I'm sure Kells will back me up. They keep you young and keep you, keep you a little bit in touch with... Uh, with the younger generation, even though perhaps the music's not not quite what we we, we would uh, endear ourselves to. Um, but well, yeah, this, no. this, this is what this is what all the grey hair is, Paul. Mine went the <laughs> other way. I think towards the end, mate, it was all the grey hair, all the trouble I was picking up as academy manager. But yeah, being on the grass is the nice stuff. Managing all of the stuff around it is uh, the tricky stuff. But you're right, it is. It's one of those, you grow fond of them, you grow attached to them, don't you? And, and we all know it's one of the hardest professions in life to get into, um, you know, and stay there. So all you can do is try and give them the best grounding you can down down where they are and their understanding. And uh, knowing you as well as I do, I know you'll do that properly and you'll be on the, in the grass with them trying to give them everything they need. And uh, it's it's not an easy job. It isn't an easy job. It was funny, actually. We stood, we stood together side, but we were in a dugout. Well, you you actually brought just before I left. I was doing the twenty threes, and Paul brought down his uh, his, his his group, and uh, yeah, we had a little game up at Gosport. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Good little run out there. Yeah, good. Just lastly, you mentioned maybe a, a first team role down the line. Do you see yourself being a first team manager, managing in the the EFL maybe one day? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, uh, obviously, seen former colleagues of mine go on to do that, so it's definitely something on the horizon. Uh, just, I think the real. I think the real thing with that is, is obviously, it's making sure it's 
the right opportunity for you as well. I think even though you don't want to be picky and it might get to the stage where you do have to take something, I think it gets to that, to that point where it's making sure that it's the right opportunity and one you feel that you know can you can do too and, and trusting yourself in the process too because like I say, it's, it's a tough gig out there and sometimes if you don't get that first one right, then there's, there's not often a second one coming round for you. So, yeah, it, it's def definitely something I'm, I'm potentially looking at and I'm always you know trying to soak everything up on that front and, and look at moving down the line. And have you got in your mind the kind of manager you'll be? Will that evolve? I think that will evolve. Obviously, you pick up the best bits from the best and probably worst bits from from everyone you kind of you kind of work with and things you think I wouldn't do that, I would do that, and and it, it's just then how you implement it and blend it. But I think you just got to be yourself as well. I think trying to be anything that you're not. I think people see through it, and you know, football changing rooms they soon they soon suss you out. Those they're very streetwise, um, so that's one where. I think you just have to be yourself, try and be as honest and, and and straight as you can. And then after that, it's getting results on the pitch, as we all know, as every manager's judged. Brilliant, Paul. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Behind the Mask podcast. Thank you so much for, for being a guest with myself and Mark today. And thank you very much for downloading this podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and there'll be another episode out soon.